This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So there's this mindset in our world that our identity, our value, uh, our worth is tied up in sort of how we rank based on uh, the, the standards of, of other people, uh, of our culture, that we look to other people uh, and compare ourselves uh, against them, how they're doing in life, uh, where, where, what jobs they have, what houses they have, what cars they have, what, what families they have. Uh, we look on social media and, and we see sort of this sanitized image of, of what uh, the ideal is that we should be pursuing and we see all of the ways that we fall short. And that, is, that, that creates a sense of competition uh, that we are in with other people. We may not frame it that way, uh, but anytime we're evaluating uh, ourselves against someone else, we really are in competition with them. And, and that doesn't really lead uh, us anywhere good. And I'm a person, I'm a pretty competitive person. It's why when uh, in my career prior to ministry, I gravitated more towards sales positions because not only were you earning a living, but you also got to win. And, and this uh, environment, the environment that was most pronounced was when I worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. It was my first job out of college. And I was part of a branch that did every well, really well every month. And they had a, these elite dinners. That every month we could, uh, if we were in the top performers as an individual, if your branch was uh, the, the most profitable, that you would get invited uh, to dine at really, really nice restaurants, at country clubs, uh, really elaborate meals, and it was all on the company dime, uh, which was great. And, you know, open bar, uh, full menu. We were all sort of in our early to mid 20s, so you can imagine, you know, kind of what that environment uh, was like. Big egos, lots of talking smack. Uh, and and we, we went month after month after month, and, and we, we did really well. Uh, we, we would even show up some months with T-shirts that we had printed that we would all wear, talking about how awesome we were. I mean, trust me, like humility, you know, we, we were the most humble branch you would ever know, right? But as this dominance went on, we started to look at others who didn't measure up to the standard that we were setting with a little bit of disdain. Like, why can't you guys do what we're doing? What is wrong with you? Why aren't you as profitable as we are? Why aren't you as awesome as we are? Why haven't you gotten promoted as quickly as we have? And we would, we would look at, at these others and, and assume that there was something wrong with them. And, and we had this reputation of, of being sort of, of cocky about that. And that didn't go well in the months that we were beaten by other branches because, you know, we talked a lot of smack and so it came back in return and we, we had it coming for sure, the crow that we had uh, to eat. But no one in those months would judge us more harshly than we would judge ourselves. And, and it would, it, our, our identity as, a, as a, a branch and as individuals it would sort of rise and fall on the basis of our performance. Competition is fine until it isn't. And it's one thing to strive after a prize or to strive after a goal, but when it leads to a place of comparison, which is inevitable because how do you know if you're winning unless you compare yourself to somebody else? But it can very easily devolve into condemnation. 
Comparison is the root of that competition that can lead to condemnation. Now, you may not see yourselves as in competition with others, but whenever you evaluate yourself against another person or against some standard, some ideal that you've sort of embraced or or has been imposed upon you, it is a form of competition. What do they have? What have they done? Who are they? And looking at yourself and how you measure up to that, how you stack up to that. And when you find yourself lacking, which is almost always happening, it can lead to a place of self-condemnation. Feeling like you haven't done enough. Like you don't have enough. Like you aren't enough as, as parents or grandparents or spouses or employees or students or neighbors or friends or just human beings. And here's the worst part. Most of the time, when you compare yourself to somebody else, you stack up the worst that you see in yourself against the best that you see in someone else. You stack up what you know to be true internally about you with what you think is true based on this external uh, sanitized image that somebody else is putting out. Do we see how unfair that is? Do we see how, how unrealistic it is to make that comparison? It isn't fair to you. And it isn't fair to them either because you end up putting them up, them up on a pedestal that they will eventually fall from in your eyes. Comparing yourself to another person or against some arbitrary standard and inevitably falling short, it denies the truth of who you are in Christ. It denies the greatness that God has put in you by the Spirit It denies the abundant life that Jesus calls you to and wants to bless you with. Comparison contradicts calling. So this morning we're continuing the sermon series we started last week called First World Problems, looking at the Jesus solutions to suburban struggles, struggles that we see uh, in our own households, in in the households of our neighbors, in our community. And, And I've lived most of my life in suburban context, and what I've seen is that there's this increase in all of these first world problems, struggles like stress, we talked about that last week. Comparison we're talking about today. In coming weeks, we'll talk about grief and loneliness and anxiety and entitlement. And those may not sound like major problems. I mean, we have big problems in the world. There's war and there's poverty and there's disease and drugs and crime and all these really, really uh, difficult problems. But first world problems are still problems. They still impact us. They still dictate to us what our lives look like. And I believe that Jesus has answers to those. And I believe that Jesus makes a real difference in the lives of all people and that he has solutions to these first world problems. And the Jesus solution we're looking at today to the suburban struggle of comparison is calling. Now, before we dive into this, I want to maybe clarify what it is I mean when I use the word 
calling. Because like a lot of words, the word calling can get thrown around uh, and applied in a lot of different ways to the point where it loses a lot of its meaning. Oftentimes when people think of calling, they frame it uh, through the lens of a job or a career. Uh, You see this particularly in the the helping professions. Someone feels as though they have a calling as a teacher or a calling as a nurse or a calling as law enforcement. Another way that it gets framed is through just a role that you might play as, you know, feeling a calling as a parent or as a caregiver of some kind. And I don't at all diminish the, the drive uh, one might have to those roles. I'm just not sure that, you, that using the word calling to describe those is, is quite what that word is intended to mean. I, I think a better, uh, a better word to use is vocation. And, and vocation, again, often refers to a job, but in, in, the, in, the, in the Lutheran sense, and particularly what, when Martin Luther talked about vocation, he, he described it as anywhere that God sends you into the world to die to yourself for the glory of God and the good of those that you encounter in those places. So you have a vocation, which also happens to be where your income comes from. You have a vocation as a spouse and as a parent, but you also have a vocation as a neighbor and as a friend, as a a caregiver of some kind, as a a, a child of, of aging parents, perhaps. And as I've unpacked this notion of calling, you know, pastors, we talk a lot about our call to ministry, that ministry was a calling. And I'm not even sure that I'm comfortable with that language either, because the reality is, the, the things that I do as clergy are not more important than the things that you do in the various roles that you play. We all have the same calling. And that calling is to love God, to love others, and let that love be expressed in action as we serve the world. That is what it means to have a calling. The vocations and the places that we go to do that look different. And your calling is definitely not supposed to be based on comparison, on how you stack up to somebody else or to some perceived ideal standard. Your calling is to follow Jesus in becoming the truest version of yourself, the version that God created you to be. The version that Jesus died and rose again for you to be. The version that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you so that it can comfort you and lead you and guide you and convict you into becoming that person. And that version of you will have more than enough, will do more than enough, and will be more than enough to glorify God and to operate for the good of those you encounter, that they would be blessed. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do with Peter in our reading this morning. So just setting some context, this is post-Jesus' resurrection, uh, but it's also in light of Peter's three denials of Jesus prior to the crucifixion. So Jesus is on trial. Some of his disciples have followed him around and Peter was pretty high profile and he gets recognized as one of Jesus's boys. And yet when he is confronted, he's like, no, that that ain't me. 
This Peter who had promised that he would do anything for Jesus, that he would die for Jesus, denied even knowing Jesus. Have you ever made a really, really big mistake in your life? And then it, it, it's unsettling, right? You, you, your sense of calling and your confidence in who you are and your identity in light of that major, major mistake that you made becomes really unstable. And I would imagine that, that Peter is in that place. But what's also often true of people in that place is they start to think about all the things that they did right. Right, like everyone's focusing on what Peter did wrong. And I can imagine Peter thinking, well, but wait a minute. I'm the most devoted of Jesus' disciples. What, what about all the good that I did? What about all the progress? I mean, I was a bonehead when Jesus found me. I've made all of these great strides. I, I just had a bad moment. Well, okay, I just had three bad moments, all right? It just, but it all happened the same day and we all have bad days. The risen Jesus encounters Peter on the beach. And I think this is why Jesus frames the question the way he does. He says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is asking Peter a question of comparison. And, and here's Peter's chance to prove himself. All the things that he's been thinking that, yes, I messed this up, but I've been devoted. I've made progress. I've loved Jesus more than anybody else. Here's my chance. And finally, someone's validating that. And Peter says, yes, I love you more than these. And Jesus replies in a way that I don't think Peter was expecting. He says, feed my lambs. And they have this encounter where three times, Peter is asked if he loves Jesus, and three times Jesus gives him a vocation to feed his lambs. And as Jesus continues, he describes the vocation that Simon Peter will have. That in the process of providing spiritual nourishment to those who at the time were far from God, eventually it will lead to Peter not just dying to himself, you know, serving and laying down his life and, and, and letting Jesus uh, direct it and guide it. It's actually going to cost him his life, which probably didn't sound like good news to Peter. And so he starts looking around and he sees his buddy John. John, who was always kind of hanging around Jesus, John's kind of a clinger. His love language was probably physical touch. And he sees John, and, and perhaps this, this intimate, close relationship that, that Peter saw John having with Jesus uh, was being interpreted as though John's vocation would be better than his, because Jesus isn't telling John that he's going to go have this horrible death uh, experience, which is, is kind of what is described in, in sort of a sanitized way. And so Peter asks Jesus, well, what about him? What about that guy? And Jesus replies in verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what difference does that make to you? You must follow me. That is your calling. In other words, Jesus says to Peter, don't compare vocations. You and John are not in competition for my love. I don't value John more than I value you. Your callings are actually the same. The vocations are different. Your calling is to become 
the version of you that Jesus wants you to be, the truest version of you that there is. And as you pursue that in following Jesus and living out that calling, it will take up more than enough of your time and your energy and your attention, and there won't be any left to compare yourself to anybody else. It is so much better to focus on who Jesus wants you to be than for you to focus on who you think you need to be in comparison to somebody else or some perceived standard that you think is out there for you. Comparison drains you, but calling sustains you. Because we can all follow Jesus. We can all love God. We can all love other people. We can all serve. That's something everybody can do. Those are steps everybody can take. And there is nothing greater that you can do with your life than following Jesus, than loving God, loving others, serving the world, living into the calling that Jesus has placed in your life. All comparison does is keep you from that calling. And it, it sucks the life out of you. It drains you of that which Jesus wants you to experience. This, this vocation that Jesus gives to Peter to, to feed Jesus' sheep, probably not the thing that Peter would have chosen for himself. To be someone who provides spiritual nourishment to others, who, who would provide the kind of compassionate care that would be required once Jesus ascends into heaven and, and turns over the ministry to the disciples, it would have been a growing edge for Peter. It would have required him to, to go to God in prayer, focusing on his need for the Spirit of God to lead and guide and comfort and convict him so he could become the truest version of himself, the, the version that Jesus was drawing out of him. That's how vocation works. It's not the thing that you maybe would have done if it were up to you. Certainly there are roles that we are drawn to. We have dreams of, of certain jobs or we have dreams of, of certain roles. But what we find is that when we end up in those places, it is so much harder than we possibly would have imagined. So many more challenges, so many things that are outside of our control. And we wonder why Jesus permits that. We wonder why these things happen in our lives. And certainly, God doesn't cause our struggles and our problems and, and the tragedies and the trauma. That's the nature of the world that we live in. But God is with us and guides us through those problems to reveal to us just how much we need God's presence in our lives. The vocations that we are called into the calling into those vocations is the same. Wherever we are, whatever's going on in our lives, our calling is to love God, to love others, to serve the world, to feed Jesus' sheep, and to follow Jesus in becoming the best version, the truest version of ourselves in whatever role that is, in whatever job that is, whether, whether we're a retired person or we're a teacher or a nurse or a police officer or a parent or simply a rental car employee. One of the things that I will confess about that experience is that while we were 
really good at our jobs. We were not really good at elevating others uh, to the success that we were having. We didn't uh, operate in a way that benefited our other coworkers and, and colleagues. We didn't do a good job of lifting others up and encouraging them to, to join us in that success. And I think that's also a bit of what Jesus is trying to do with Peter. Jesus absolutely knew of Peter's devotion. Jesus absolutely knew of Peter's progress and his gifts and his talents and his abilities. And he wanted Peter to use that devotion not to entitle him to certain things, but as fuel to go out and to live and become the truest version of Simon Peter, regardless of how that compared to John or to anybody else. I think that's what Jesus is doing in your life and in my life as well. Jesus has called you to become the truest version of yourself, the version that he has created you for. And how that compares to anybody else is absolutely irrelevant. And that is why calling is the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of comparison. Would you stand? There are a couple of questions for you to consider, uh, and then I'll close this in prayer. To whom do you compare yourself? And how is that comparison conflicting with the calling that Jesus has placed on your life? Lord God, we come before you as a people incapable of living up to the one standard that is worth pursuing. And that's the standard of your law. That's the standard of your will. That's the standard of your desire for our lives. And we desperately need you to live up to that. And because of that, Lord, we we sometimes uh, try to live up to other standards and and become other people because maybe if we achieve that, we'll feel good about ourselves. But it inevitably leads to a place of condemnation when we fall short. Lord, we need your spirit to reveal to us the truest version of ourselves, who you've created us to be and called us to be, who you desire for us to, to follow you in becoming. Lord, not only for our own good, but for your glory and the good of those we encounter. And so, Lord, we ask that you would strip away all that it is that that draws us away from that truest version. Lord, that we would lay those burdens down and we would pick up the yoke that you've invited us into that is easy and light, in which you set the direction, you carry the load, and we participate and follow, because that is the place where true life is found. 
Lord, inhabit the remainder of our praise this morning, and as you do so, speak to us about the versions of us that we've called to be and the path to which we walk, that we would become those versions. It's in your name we pray. Amen.